So I'm Pamphor Rhodes. I'm Greg Rhodes' wife and the uh, director of, I always forget what my title is. Spiritual yeah, Spiritual Life. I, I'm always thinking development, growth, but that's really where I am. I love to see people grow. And last week we talked about how when Jesus rose from the grave and the grave was empty now, that meant that you and I could grow and have amazing lives while we're here on earth. And we saw that we can do that because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. And God is full of power through the Holy Spirit that can enable us to live full and meaningful lives. So that was last week. And this week we're going to look at what does the empty grave mean for you and me in eternity? Like, how can I have a full life forever? And my mind has really been thinking about this as recently we've had several funerals, deaths and funerals in our River Life family. Um, and I did also want to mention, if you haven't heard, that uh, song, um, Philip and Song, if you know them, they just had a little baby this past a uh, couple months ago. But Song's mom passed away a couple weeks ago as well. And her funeral will be uh, the weekend of Memorial Weekend. So we'll post that up. But as you can see, we've had multiple deaths in our River Life family. And that always raises the question of what happens after death? What happens after death? And so we're going to actually look at that today. Okay. And we're going to go back to the, the um, verses that we looked at last week. And I'm gonna, this week I'm going to do something a little different. There's so many Bible verses about what happens to us after death. Now you and I, I don't know how often you think about that. How many of you, like, once a week think about what's going to happen after death? Am I the only weird one? Oh, yay, I'm not the only weird one. Um, but this is something that the Bible talks about a lot, especially for the new church, these brand new Christians who just began to follow Jesus. Because to them, it was amazing that this person had died and then rose again from the dead. And that was their hope that someday they too, even if they died in the body, they would be raised again from the dead. So it was constantly being taught and in their mind. And I want to make sure that you know about it. And there's so many Bible verses that I've, I put a, together a handout that just talks about some of the verses. And we're going to go through those verses. I won't explain a lot of them because I believe that the Word of God sometimes is plainer than me trying to teach 30 minutes on a couple verses, okay? So we'll, you'll follow along, and we will go through most of those verses. So we started last week looking at Ephesians 1, where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And Paul says to them that he wants them to understand some things. So reading from chapter 1, verse 17 through 19, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope 
to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So last week we looked at that third thing, his glorious, in, um, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Today we're going to look at the first two, the hope to which he, God, has called you, and secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Okay, so Paul says, hey, I don't want you to miss this. This is so important that I keep praying, God, please let your Holy Spirit allow the people in Ephesus, and in fact, all over the churches, allow them to not only know with their mind, but experience through their emotions these amazing things. So what is this hope? The hope that Paul talks about, the way that the Bible uses the word hope, and even in archaic times, ancient times, the word hope is not the way we use it today. You know, today we, we say things like, you know, I hope my team wins. And you usually say that when you know that the chances are pretty low that they're going to win, right? Because if they're going to win, you go, I know they're going to win. You don't even have to hope. Because hope, in the way we use it, means to wish for something that has a really low uncertainty of happening. Okay? So you wish it, you desire it, but you kind of know it's not going to happen. That's how we use hope. Not so the Bible. In the Bible, the word hope, whether as a verb or as a noun, is used 129 times. In Ephesians, in this book, that, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he uses it three times. And hope in the Bible is about the absolute certainty that something good is going to happen at a future time. So because it's something in the future, it's a hope, and you're looking forward to it. Um, in fact, the way that Paul uses here and in the New Testament, the Greek word that is used is elpis, which comes from the root word elpo, which means to anticipate with joy. Okay, so I'm anticipating with joy, but it's not happening yet, so I have to wait for it. And that is the hope, okay? We have to understand that because otherwise every time we read hope, 129 times we're going to think, oh, that's kind of wishy-washy. But it's not. Think of it this way. Hope is to um, have strong, um, certain certainty that this is going to happen, okay? And you're going to wait for it. So that's what we're going to um, be looking at. What is this hope? What is this joyful, confident expectation that Paul says we should have? And so in the verse that we looked at, he just mentioned it. He said, I want you to know this hope. Well, in many of Paul's letters, he talks about the hope of many things. And today we're going to look at three of them. The first one is the hope of eternal life. The second one we're going to look at is the hope of face-to-face -face intimacy with God. And the third thing that we're going to look at is the hope of having renewed bodies. 
Okay, so let's look at the hope of eternal life. And eternal life, what is that? Very, very basically it means life that doesn't end. And Paul is saying we have this hope, this joyful, certain anticipation that our life will never end. But it's more than that, and we're going to look at what it, what it, um, what it actually means. So I want us to look first at what Jesus says eternal life is. So on your handout, John 5, verse 24 says this. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him, talking about God, believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So eternal life, Jesus says, is to know him, to believe in him, and so that you won't be judged, but instead you move from death to life. Okay? So that's Jesus' definition of eternal life. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus, also speaking, says, Now this is eternal life that they, people, know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Jesus is saying here that part of eternal life is not just that you're going to live on forever, but you live on forever in a quality of life where you know God intimately and you know Jesus Christ, and that your faith is in him. And that is part of eternal life. It's not just that time-wise, time doesn't end for you, but the quality of that time is spent with God and Jesus. So in his letter to uh, his protege, Titus, Paul writes this about the hope of eternal life. In Titus 1, verse 1 through 2, Paul is introducing himself as he's writing. He says, Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And then Paul goes on to say other things, but he wanted Titus to remember that Paul is preaching this good news about the knowledge of God, but it is not about the knowledge of God. It's about teaching people the hope of eternal life. Remember, the hope is the joyful, confident expectation of life that will never end, which Paul explained God had already promised to us before time even began which our minds can't comprehend, that before God created the heavens and the earth, he already had in his mind that you and I would have eternal life. And he promised that. So that's eternal life. The hope of eternal life. Paul also uses the hope of eternal life one more time in his letter to Titus. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 4 to 7, explaining more. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, 
not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And Paul goes on to write many things about this hope. Um, and he explains to us then, in a letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17, where he talks about what does this eternal life, what, are we, what is it going to look like? And Paul explains, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he's describing that when time ends as we know it, Jesus is going to come back, and the people who believed in Jesus, the dead in Christ, will rise. They will rise from the dead. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, so we'll join them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then what happens? And so we will be with the Lord forever. That is what eternal life is. It's not just that your life doesn't end, but it is that your life with God and Jesus by your side will never end. And that is eternal life. So I trust that you, you put your hope in that, that that is your hope, that you will live forever with God. Okay, so that's the hope of eternal life. Let's look at the second thing, the second hope. Because the grave is empty and Jesus is now at the right hand of his Father, we have the hope of face-to-face -face intimacy with God. So this is the joyful, confident expectation that we will truly know God and we will be known by God. I don't know about you, but in my everyday life right now, there are days where I feel really close to God and there are days where I feel so distant from him. There are times where I can almost hear his voice, and there are times where it's so dark and foggy and cloudy that I'm like, God, I don't even know what you want or what I should do, okay? But it's not going to be like that in eternity. Here's a beautiful picture of what our relationship with God will look like from Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, this is what he says to them. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And Paul is saying that right now, we get glimpses of who God is, but it's kind of fuzzy. But someday in eternity, we will actually be face to face with God, and it won't be fuzzy. 
and we will know fully. And so in the book of Revelation, which was written by uh, John, the apostle John, and God had given him this vision of what life would look like at the end of our time of the earth, as well as what eternity in heaven looks like. And this is what, this is the verse that, that uh, John tells us is going to happen. Revelation 22, 4 says, they will see his face. That's you and me and everybody who's going to be in heaven. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. You're like, okay, we see each other face to face. What's written on our foreheads? It just means that we know that we belong to God. Okay, but this idea of face to face. Now, you and I are like, that sounds good. I would love to see God face to face. For the people who heard this, they would have been like, we can't see God face to face. Because in the Old Testament, anybody who saw God, I mean, they were fearful of God. They, they thought they would die if they saw God. In fact, when Moses asked God to show his face, God was like, you, you could not handle it. So let me hide you, and I will walk past you, and I will protect you so that you don't really see me or you, you would die. Okay? But in eternity, to live forever with God, he says, no, now you can see me face to face. Okay? And it's not just a physical seeing. It's also an emotional and spiritual seeing this sense of knowing and being known, as Paul said to the Corinthians. So we have this hope. Because don't you sometimes think, God, do you, do you even know me? Like, do you even understand? Because most of us say that to our spouse or our parents, right? Like, nobody understands me. And sometimes we even wonder if God does. Well, he is saying, you may not think I understand you, and you may not understand me, but someday... We are going to have perfect intimacy, and it's, never, it's not going to be broken because you're going to be with me forever. So our hope is that we will have face-to-face -face intimacy with God. The third hope that Paul has talked about, and he talked a lot about this one, is the hope of renewed bodies. The joyful, confident expectation that this body, this earthly body, will be changed. Okay. She says, I'm looking out at you all. I'm thinking the average age is maybe 30, 35. Well, I turned 45. Well, no, I'm almost 46. But this year, 45, has been a rough year. The white hair started coming in. The, the pudginess that genetically I thought I wasn't ever going to get came in. Um, my knee, which I need to fix, starts to hurt more. And I'm just like, God, my body's falling apart. I'm only 45. And so this idea of a new, renewed body that doesn't fall apart, that doesn't, um, you know, stop working the way it's supposed to, that really appeals to me. These verses have never meant more to me than now. And I'm guessing as the years go by, they'll mean even more. But let's look at what Paul says. 
So writing in Romans 8, verse 11, and then 22 to 25, Paul talks about what's going to happen to our mortal bodies. So he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In Galatians, Paul says almost the exact thing. And Paul is telling us that because of sin, our world is dying. It's decaying. Trees die, flowers die, even animals, and we do too. And that wasn't God's design. But Paul is saying that we, creation and we, we're like, God, why why this body of death? When will we not have to deal with pains and aches and decay? And Paul says we're all waiting in this hope of the redemption of our bodies. Now, some people think that after we die and we go to heaven, that our spirits can kind of be like ghosts floating around. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we will have bodies. They will be redeemed bodies. We don't even know what that will look like, but when we see pictures of what Jesus was like after he rose from the dead, we get a picture of what our bodies will be like. Unfortunately, I will not be five foot six in heaven. When you see me, you'll still recognize me, but this body will will work exactly the way it's supposed to. My cholesterol won't be high, okay? Uh, And Jesus, after he rose from the grave, he could appear and disappear and appear in places. Who knows? Maybe we'll be like that. We don't know, except that our bodies are part of the resurrection. Okay? So, if if you're like, God, please change my body now, and he doesn't, just hang on to the hope of the redemption of your body. Okay? In Philippians 3.20, Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says, But you and I, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. Okay? So we can have joyful, confident expectation that our bodies will be renewed. Okay, so quick review. We have the hope of eternal life, the hope of face-to-face intimacy with God, 
and the hope of renewed bodies. Okay, so that's the hope. There are many other hopes. There's so many that I can't fit them in here. We need to do a study on that, right? But we're going to move on to the inheritance because Paul says that there's this rich, glorious inheritance. Okay? So we're going to look at... Again, there's so many, but we're just going to look at three of them. The first is the inheritance of family, and then we're going to look at the inheritance of home and the inheritance of fulfillment. So this inheritance of family, what is that? Paul says that because Christ died and then he was raised from the dead, you and I can belong to his family. And this is the idea of being adopted into the family of God. So Ephesians 1, Paul, writing again to the church in Ephesus, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This idea of adoption, that you and I, God created us, just like he created everything else, including the angels, but he's not going to adopt the angels. Out of his grace and his love, it's all about just that he loves us, that he's going to adopt us and say, no longer are you just going to be a creature. You are actually going to be my son and my daughter. And Paul talks about this to almost every church that he writes to. He reminds them that they have been adopted into the family of God. So let's look at Romans 8, verse 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Abba was their word for daddy. So we don't just say uh, father. We, We can call him daddy, okay? The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, that also means then that we are heirs, heirs of God, and get this, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So this inheritance that we get would not happen. We wouldn't get anything if God didn't adopt us and say, you are now my son and my daughter, therefore everything I have also belongs to you. And here's our big brother, Jesus Christ. I don't know about your big brother, but when the next child comes in, they're usually like, no, mine, 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 right? 
Not so our big brother Jesus. He says, I would die for you so that you, everything that my father has, can also belong to you. Like, that just blows my mind. That that's the kind of love that God the Father has and Jesus our big brother has for us. That we can now have ownership of all that they have. That's what it means to be an heir. Okay? So we have been, we have inherited a family. And in inheriting a family, we've also inherited a home. Now, I don't know about you, but I truly believe that there's no place like home. So if those of you who know Greg and me, we spend maybe 80% of our time in our home because we are homebodies, okay? We were in Italy for two weeks, and by the end of the first week, I missed my home, okay? So home is not just a place, it's, it's where you belong, okay? And this is, what, this is what Paul tells us about our inherited home in 2 Corinthians 5 or 6 through 8. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, <coughs> we are confident and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul is saying that to be where God is, to be where Jesus is, that's home. Okay? And Jesus told his disciples about his home. It's really a beautiful picture. Before Jesus died, he said this to them because he wanted to tell them that there is a future hope, but this is also their inheritance. He says, my father's house has many rooms. Are you picturing this? Jesus is saying, hey, the home that I left my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. <coughs> Home is where our father lives. Home is where our big brother lives. And home is where we will live forever. So when I was away in Italy and I missed my home, I missed my bed, and I missed my puppies. And I missed you all, too. Uh, <clears throat> but it's this sense of not just a place, but a place where all who you love are also there. And, and we've just inherited that. And last but not least, we inherit fulfillment. The inheritance of fulfillment it's just, is where we get to do what we were made to do. We get to do what we were made to do. Now, God created us, and usually when a creator creates something, the creator has a purpose for that thing. And God created us with purpose to work, to care for, and to rule over this earth. 
he was very clear that this was what he had created human beings to do. But when we chose to do things our own way and to not obey God, we lost that sense of fulfillment and we lost the ability to fully do, to rule over this earth the way we were supposed to do. <clears throat> and we will see that through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, our purpose is restored. So in Ephesians 2, verse 6 through 7 and 10, Paul tells us, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, that's the future, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you and I, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, most of the times when we preach that, we talk about right now here on earth, God has created something for you to do, which is totally true. And I'm going to tell you that in eternity, God also has work for you to do. So if you believe that you're going to be sitting on a cloud, strumming on a heavenly instrument like a harp, you, some of you might do that because that might be your gift. It won't be mine. Okay? But God is going to have work for us to do. And here's a picture of it. <clears throat> um, in Revelation, again, John, seeing what's going to happen, Revelation 22, verse 3 through 5, he said, no longer will there be any curse, because the curse was death and dying and decay, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. God created us to serve God, to do the things that God needed and wanted us to do. Verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, Verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And here's where we fulfill our purpose. And they will reign forever and ever. Did your parents ever tell you that your true inheritance is that you are a prince, a princess who is going to reign and not just reign, but forever and ever. That's what it means to inherit. God is the king of the universe. And he says, today you are my son, you are my daughter. And that means you are also going to rule in this kingdom with me. Are you excited about this hope that we have, this inheritance that we have? I told Greg that I, I'm constantly, I probably one of the first things Greg knew about me is that I, even as a teenager, as a kid, and then when we were dating in college, that I was constantly thinking about heaven, like, I can't wait to get there. And I said to him, I hope I die at 30, because that's about all I want to live here, because I can't wait for eternity with God. Uh, I'm 45, so guess what? I, di I didn't get that wish. But I'm still constantly thinking about that. And that today, I'm surprised I didn't cry today because I just want so, I could, I could feel the passion when Paul says, 
I want you to know this. You gotta understand this, because you don't understand. I'm, Paul was like, I suffered because I know this future glory. And he even said, you know what, Jesus? He suffered because he knew this future glory that was going to be his. And that's what I feel for you. I want you to grasp this and to understand this. But here's something that I think might blow your mind. The way that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his, God's glorious inheritance in his holy people. One translation is that you are God's inheritance, that you are God's glorious inheritance, and that's how he sees you. Because Christ died for you and rose from the dead, that now God gets to have you. You are now his inheritance because before that, you belonged to the evil one because you lived the way he wanted you to live. And Paul is saying, do you understand this glorious, rich inheritance that God gets because Jesus rose from the dead? Because you are God's inheritance In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, this is what Peter calls us. But you, those of you who follow Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are God's special possession. You are his inheritance. And in Deuteronomy, this has good precedence, because in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9, let's just read verse 9. It says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. So in those days, when a father is about to die, he would break his inheritance into portions, and the first son would get twice as much as the second son, okay? But that would be your portion, your inheritance. And Deuteronomy is telling us that we now, back then it was the people of Israel, Jacob, was God's inheritance. So you are God's inheritance. And that is a beautiful thing. So I want to end with this. We've read lots of verses, so I want to read something from Chip Ingram's book on the real heaven, what the Bible actually says. And if you're interested, if you're thinking more, you're like, oh my goodness, what this 30-minute, 40-minute talk was just a little taste of the future, I'd highly recommend this book. But here's what he says. Above everything... Our Heavenly Father longs to be with us. He can't wait for us to come home and be with him. As a child of God, you already have a place prepared for you there. You carry the family name, and so you belong there. But heaven isn't complete until you come home.
God doesn't get his full inheritance until you and I are there with him. That is amazing. So I want to ask you, what does the empty grave mean for you? What does the empty grave mean for you? Have you received the hope and the inheritance? If you haven't, then Jesus invites you to receive his empty grave. And he says in Romans 10, verse 9 through 13, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if that is you, and you're like, I don't know this hope, and I, I don't have a part in that inheritance yet. It can be yours today. And for those of you who already know the hope and are already part of the inheritance, I would call you to Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Glorious Father, I pray that you will give each one of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen.